water Got straight from Capricorn In search of Lord Gregory Pray God I'll find him The snow it wets my yellow hair And the rain falls on my skin The baby's cold in my arms Love Lord Gregory Hello Old Songs Podcasters, maybe I need to get nicknames for you, OSPs or OSPers or something like that, let me know what works. In the last episode, number 10, we chatted with Jim Murray, so I thought for a bit of consistency I'd use his version of this episode's song to kick us off. It's off his album The Outlander, uh, and that's the wonderful Josie and Clark, who we must get on this podcast one day, singing along with him. So the song this week is Lord Gregory, and my guest this week is Debbie Armour, one half of the Scottish drone folk outfit Bird Ellen. And there's a reason why I've not kicked off this episode with her version of the song, and you'll see why that is if you keep listening. Quite simply, it's epic, and it really deserves some kind of time and space of its own. You'll see. Of course, Lord Gregory has its numbers. We're talking about Roud 49. We've spoken quite a lot about what a round number is in previous episodes. And it's also known as Child 76, possibly. I'll let Debbie explain that. It's probably better that way. Uh, we've spoken about Child, of course, a lot in the past too. But this time we also bring up Bertrand Harris Bronson. And if you're not sure who he was, well, his chief role in traditional music was in collecting together all the tunes he could find to accompany the texts that Child had published. And the book you want to go and find is called The Traditional Tunes of the Child Ballads, which was published in four volumes between 1959 and 1972. So Debbie chose to chat about Lord Gregory, or the Lass of Roch or Annie of Loch Royan, or the Maid of Ochram, or perhaps even Who's Going to Shoe Your Pretty Little Foot? It's got so many titles. And she chose it for a whole bunch of reasons, which will soon be revealed. But one thing I really want to say first, though, is that it's rare to meet someone who has clearly spent so much time and energy thinking about a ballad as Debbie has with this one. It's it's a real privilege to hear what she has to say and to basically sit on the sidelines as she held forth. What a great way to spend a Sunday morning. So get yourself very comfortable and open your mind to the wonders of this amazing ballad. You'll learn about best croning, freeform singing, the rule of three, and why Debbie thinks a traditional ballad is like a round of golf. That's worth the admission price alone. Speaking of which, of course, uh, there is no admission price. But if you do want to donate to keep the Old Songs podcast alive, you can do so on my bandcamp, which is johnwilkes.bandcamp.com. And you can you can subscribe uh, as a VIP on that Bandcamp page, uh, and that's how I'm, I'm supporting this podcast. Uh, if you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, it's all free. Oh, and there's also one little thing I want to say. There's stronger language in this episode than usual, not because Debbie brings out the foul-mouthed Charlie and me, but because Lord Gregory himself deserves a real tongue-lashing, and that's what he gets. Debbie, Lord Gregory. It's so juicy, isn't it? It is a juicy one. (laughs) (laughs) El Scandalo. (laughs) Tell me a bit about Debbie and Bird Ellen. That would be the first place to start. Okay. 
so Birds Ellen is my solo project, although I spend a good chunk of that uh, playing with um, Gail Brogan, who's mm-hmm. the other bird. Mm. Um, and uh, it started in... 2018 2018 Mm. Nick Jonah Davis asked me to open for him um, at the Glad Cafe um, when he was playing there and I was like oh shit I don't um, have a I don't have a solo project (laughs) (laughs) or a name for it so I spent like three days frantically scrambling to figure out what to call myself because I knew I didn't want to work under my own name and mm. uh, and yeah, I just got up and did some songs that I knew, and that was uh, yeah, that was in July twenty eighteen, um, and the sound en- the desk engineer that night was a dude called Luigi Paschini, um, who runs a studio in Glasgow, and um, he did a desk recording for me, and he sent it to me, and I sent it to a couple of other people, and then. I got booked to play Sidmouth Folk Festival and then I was like, oh no, I suppose I better make this a thing. Mm. And it became a thing. Excellent. <laughs> and what a good thing too. I mean, I I first came across Bird Ellen when I was doing some work with the F Roots magazine and Ian Anderson. Mm-hmm. You kind of appeared out of nowhere. It's Bird Ellen. Is it a person? Is it a thing? What is it? Yeah, that. I mean, it's kind of intentional. Like if I wanted to to make work under my own name, I could, but... I mean, I was still really, I guess I still am as well, like really figuring out what it's about. Mm. You know, everyone's been super generous. Ian and everyone uh, at F-Roots have been incredibly supportive and amazing. Uh, And, you know, we've been really, really lucky and it's been really fast and it's always, uh, I'm kind of just now coming around the other side of being really reactive Mm. um, and just trying to like keep up with everything, which is a nice problem to have, Mm. I guess. Mm. Uh, But yeah, like still figuring it out. So the, a little bit of like mystery and anonymity, it just adds to the, the, the brand. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the project? I mean, you're just to, to sum it up to people who may not have heard Bird Ellen yet. Okay. So yeah, we, um, we work with traditional material, mm. uh, traditional song, usually from Britain and Ireland, but uh, occasionally from other places. Uh, and it's sort of spooky, kind of drone folk. Mm. It's uh, very song orientated, and um, Gail, uh, Gail also makes work in a, in a number of other bands she does a bit of stuff with United Bible Studies um, who people might have heard and her own solo stuff uh, she works as Pefkin and her, her whole thing is sort of like nature based hymnals we try to work with acoustic and analogue instrumentation as much as we possibly can um, because we're you know creepy old ladies like <laughs> um but it's very kind of drone based and very sort of minimal and quite kind of textural and uh, i resist the word experimental exploratory i think i mean i was trying to explain it to a friend of mine in america the other day and uh i was i was sort of admiring what you do i used the word fearless because as a musician myself what i find really fascinating 
about the way that you're going about it in that sort of very drone based that very kind of minimal way it's re i find it really hard um as someone who perhaps came out more of a sort of i came out of a more indie rock kind of background and that kind of thing i find it very hard to not adorn things and what i love about certainly what i loved about sweet lemony your 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 version of that is that it just holds the attention with a really really scant sort of palette and I think that's really daring. I, I, I just, I mean, I, it's not something that I feel like I could ever do. That's very kind. It mostly comes out of the fact that I can't really play any instrument. <laughs> well, that's For the real. punk ethic, right? That's, that's That goes right back to sort of uh, 70s punk. Like, you just do what you can with what you've got. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my lack of skill is, is definitely a driving factor, especially when... I do play a lot of solo shows and the solo stuff tends to, we tend to get booked for solo shows in a, in a much more sort of traditionally folky kind of space. And mm. the duo shows, we definitely are, get more kind of traction in the kind of weirdo scene, kind of like no audience underground sort of guys. Mm. Um, obviously, Gail is like an absolute legend. Mm. <laughs> I can't, can't really overstate that. Like every time we go somewhere... Uh, people are like, oh my God, are you Gail Brogan? I used to buy <laughs> stuff from you. She used to run a distro um, in the 90s and the early 2000s. Wow, and okay. uh, everybody knows her. Like, oh, I used to buy all my tapes off you. Like guys in Belgium and stuff are like, oh, oh my God. I used to... Yeah. So she's like a total legend. So like the when you are working by yourself, I'm honestly, if it was up to me, I would just sing and not have any other stuff. Mm. That's, my, that's my absolute preferred... Mo for sure. Mm. Um, there's less the less things that are to go wrong, the better. <laughs> um, and also, like I'm quite, I do tend to be quite free uh, around sort of tempo and rhythm and stuff. And it's just really hard to do that if you have sure loads yeah. of fuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your um? What's your background with traditional music then? Um. So, so where did you where did you first get bitten? Where where did the bug <laughs> get you? Well, I moved uh, from Glasgow to the Isle of Mull mm. when I was like 10, I think. And I lived there until my early 20s, early to mid 20s. And mm. um, while I was in school, uh, I learned how to sing in Gaelic and we sang unaccompanied always. And um, I sang solo and uh, choral um, and competed in the mod as well up until I was in my um, mid-teens, late teens, um, which is like the most incredible experience. Like it's, it's a really, um, a really musical place. Mm. It's um, really important to to the culture, and everybody's like super musical. So uh, you know, we would go and sing at in the pub or at a Kaylee or something and like it, the audience would join in and like absolutely perfect four part harmony I'd never <laughs> experienced anything like it in my life and mm. it was stunning it, the really and a really incredible education in in delivery and and precision and listening and you know obviously I'm not a fluent Gaelic speaker I never will be I'll always be a learner so you need to find a way to like emote the text even though you don't speak the language mm. and uh, it's you know, there's a huge, a huge skill set there. You know, the mods kind of, I think, less 
well known than something like The Fish, for example, but mm. um, produces some exceptional musicians. Mm. Yeah, like Alistair White from the band White. I don't know if anybody knows them. They're like Gaelic uh, ambient electronica sort okay. of guys. They're incredible. Mm. I would urge uh, any fans of like minimalist um, song delivery to check them out. But yeah, Alistair's like a mod gold medalist. Hmm. And a traditional gold medalist as well, and uh, yeah, his mum was my uh, choir mistress right, from when okay. I was ten. Yeah, so like, <laughs> it's, there's a there's a whole like community of of practice and incredible musicians, and they like are just churning them out. Hundreds and hundreds of children every year are involved wow. in competition. So yeah, and adults. So it's amazing. So you, when we started chat- chatting, uh, of course, I asked you about what song you wanted to chat about, and you had went away and had a bit of a think. And you came back and you said Lord Gregory, which also has yeah, so many, many other names. names. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, many fundamentally, names. Child 76 or Roud 49. Well, I mean, is it though? That's another, <laughs> that's another point of discussion. Things that are uh, categorised as Child 76 is, is a wide variety of different songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just sc- scanning through the Child, uh, the child book uh, this morning and noted you know in in child alone there's something like 11 versions with up to 35 verses floating yeah. around all over the place but you i know have noted that didn't bronson note yeah bronson's got 23 yeah so uh, yeah but obviously um i think i think he yeah i think like bronson's got 23 versions and i think that in his i think he thinks that they're all legitimate mm you know they're all like legitimately of the same family because obviously there's a lot of floating verse like mm. truncated versions of it that people will definitely know but wouldn't necessarily mm. regard as being part of the same collection. Sure. And I and I think we'll get onto that in in huge depth <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> um I mean I again then I went off to the as I always do I went off to the Roud index on the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library and there's yeah, two hundred and twenty-three notif- notations about it about the song there. I'm surprised there's not more. Yeah, well, I mean, and then you, if you sort of bring it up by map, obviously this is not an English song, and that's really nope. underlined by the fact that it was only collected apparently once in England in Northamptonshire. Uh, interestingly, under the name "The Maid of Ockram." Yeah, which is a, a which is a sort of anglicised we to say one of the Irish names. Yep. yep. Obviously, there are tons and tons of versions in Ireland, mm-hmm. collected in Ireland, hundreds in Scotland. And then it jumps to the States and it's sort of like, it's it's like, you might even call it a pandemic. It just seems to spread <laughs> <laughs> so fast. How do you deal with this song? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, I don't even know how you start getting into talking about this, but we're going to have to try. Yeah. You've thought about this more than me, so why don't you have a a little have crack? I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think perhaps one good starting point, because a lot of people who listen to the old songs podcast are not necessarily knowledgeable about all the songs, and mm-hmm. and and what's great so far, the feedback I've had is that people tend to hear about the song for the first time and then go off and explore it themselves. So. One way to to sort of talk about it might be to give a sort of uh, an overview of the general narrative, and I know mm. that's really difficult with this song anyway. Because well, yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing 
to know is that this is a really, really, really old song. Mm. This is an old, old story and a really old song. And mm. you can tell because it's everywhere. And uh, it's really long and really complex. And it's mm. got like, you know, real names in it and stuff like that. But like for different areas. So, I mean, it's really like archetypal. It feels like one of those super deep ones. Mm. And like... Yeah, there are there are huge numbers of like little variations in the way that the plot goes, but like any of these big massive songs, I always think about it as being like a golf course. <laughs> so like there's like nine holes on the golf course. That's the nine key plot points, and how yeah. you get how you navigate between them changes every time that you do it. <laughs> every brilliant. time it passes from one person to the next, but the the fixed points the things that make it make sense yeah like if you took everything else away what would still make sense about it that's that's your like that's your golf course that's your yeah. golf holes and just to just to interject before before you get going on the narrative i think one note that i took down earlier that kind of underlines what you've just said is even in child the notation alongside the song suggests that the first sort of recorded even manuscript which which suggests that you know it, it predates that because a manuscript mm. uh, is 1776 and yeah. then he he talks about it being taken down almost verbatim he says an almost verbatim recital from a mrs brown in 1783 but mm. she's already doing what he called improvised inventions mm-hmm. and so it's all it's, it's a song that's kind of in fragments even as soon as we discover it yeah 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 for sure it is definitely one of the older ones and that's the that's the ones that I really like hmm. I really I'm really in love with the idea of this still being hugely emotionally resonant 300 400 years down the line like it's still it's still things that we're talking about it's still things that feel pertinent and that's that's really a a, a key a key thing that I that I look for, or that a thing that can, well, I don't look, you don't look for songs, do you? Like they just turn up and uh, well, they grab you, don't they? They yeah. find you and <laughs> yeah. yeah, they rock up. These are the ones that that always kind of hook me in. I'm like, oh, that seems really like old and like super union and like what you know. Mm. Let's talk about that. But yeah, like I'm really I'm really curious about the ones that survive, and it it does it is still really emotional. Like we have a long version of this that we perform, um, and is on our first album. But uh, every time we play it, somebody always cries, and it's it's, it's quite often me. <laughs> like I'm, st- <laughs> but it's like a really bad day, you know. Like, but yeah, we do. It does it does elicit this this huge emotional response in people, and I find that um, fascinating. Mm. Okay, so let's go back to your yeah. nine-point so, nine girlfriend. Yeah, What's the, the narrative? Golf course. The narrative is that a, a woman turns up at a castle with a baby and says, I would like to speak to Lord Gregory because my baby and I are suffering and this mm. is Lord Gregory's baby and I would like him to come down and address the fact that this is his baby. Mm. Uh, somebody tells her to go away and leave and she's not welcome nor is her baby and then she says but we're gonna die Mm. if we do that we don't you know we don't have any money and then there's usually some sort of flashback and some kind of like memory sequence where she says do you not remember Gregory that you promised me this and you said that to me and you took my maiden head and now I've got this well Sometimes it's more alluded to than than direct like that, but um, mm. 
yeah, you you said that you would look after me and now you won't come down to talk to me. What am I going to do? Who's going to take care of me and my baby? Yeah. And, uh, well, the person who is telling this woman to go away is usually Lord Gregory's mother. Yes. Um, who accuses her of being every every devious witch that's uh, ever been known. And she's to go and literally get in the sea in some versions. She's like, mm. away and die in the sea mm. for for your shame. Yeah. Like, how could you? Mm. And so uh, she promptly does go away and die in the sea. And so yeah. does her baby. And then Lord Gregory comes down the stairs, having been asleep <laughs> the entire time. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, and he's devastated. He's devastated because it turns out he really does love this woman and he does want the baby and he curses his mother uh, up and down and sideways round uh, for interfering. And in some, it's not clear that she dies and he promises to scour the land to yeah. find her uh, and in some he runs down to the shore to try and find her but she's dead in some versions she's well I mean some of the key differences in the way that is in the way that she presents herself but she's on the sea um, and he sees her and he calls her but it's too late and then yeah. everyone is super sad forever the end yeah <laughs> So just like another standard traditional yeah, folk song. Yeah, which is then, also right? my favourite. Also my favourite. I love it when everybody dies. Yeah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I mean, I kind of, I, uh, I don't right. want to apologise for that. You know, I think there's a lot of that goes on. I think there's a lot of like, oh, you know, um, sorry about it. Everyone's really miserable and everyone dies. And like, don't, like you want, if you want to sing it, sing it. Don't say yeah. sorry for it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the things that people coming to traditional music for the first time have to kind of uh, understand is that it does attract a certain type of person, doesn't it? Somebody yeah, who is goth. quite comfortable with with the dark and the misery. Yep, that's that's absolutely my personal brand. Wholesale <laughs> death, but but make it old. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay, great. So we've got we've got the basic uh, narrative down, but yep. But it goes all over the place, doesn't it? Depending on which version that you've picked out. Depending on who you talk to. Yeah. So the first version of this I ever heard, I was treated uh, to what I believe to be the, the premium version of this song. My favourite version of this song is the recording of Elizabeth, or Bess Cronin, the mm. Irish singer, who was recorded uh, by Alan Lomax um, in, I think, in Clare? I think in County yeah. Clare? Uh, in the 50s, if not 1950, like 51, 52, like early, early 50s. I am my king's daughter, astrid from Cap Queen. In search of Lord Gregory, may God I find him. The rain beats at my yellow locks and the jewels me still. The baby's calling my arms, Lord Gregory, let me in. Lord Gregory is not here and in sword can't be seen. He is gone to bring Scotland to bring home his new queen. Leave no doors and windows. And likewise this hall, where a steep in the sea you should find your downfall. 
you pointed me in the direction of this because I hadn't heard it and it is quite mm. an extraordinary performance isn't it it's it's absolutely transcendental like she's really it's so understated and so gentle but like everything is like crystal clear yeah you know and the tune is really uh, wibbly wobbly. I mean, like it's a you know quite heavily ornamented Irish mm. tune. You could you could Irish the heck out of it. You know, you, could, <laughs> you really go for it. But she she seems to navigate the the twists and turns of it really gently. You have to really listen in, don't you, to really pick out what she's actually saying. Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, certainly I do. I mean, it's, it it may be partly the the dialect and the accent, but but I think what what's more important than that is is the tenderness and the gentleness with which she sings it. it you just your ear has to be finely attuned to get it. Mm, absolutely, and I, that's such a skill. Mm. It, it's an incredible delivery. Like even if you're not interested in the, this song or traditional song, or indeed, you know, uh, like if you're only interested in in performance and delivery, it's a real it's a real antidote to to that kind of like belty heavily ornamented uh, style that people think constitutes a good delivery yeah. these days it, you you do have to listen but that's what you're supposed to do absolutely do you know yeah. what i mean like and it's really skillful and it takes a lot of courage to to hold back like that especially like it's a really dramatic song yes like absolutely. it's really sad and there's loads of like high points in it and yeah it just it totally blew me away but her it's, version is interesting isn't it because it's it's one. It's a good example of of what we were saying at the beginning of this this podcast that that there are versions here that sometimes you know um, they're fragmented in different ways and in the way that the song has been fragmented uh, really dictates um, the position from which you listen to it or the position from which the the singer uh, delivers the story. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. That's that's part of your skill when you're. Um when you're building a repertoire and when you're deciding how you want to deliver something is that you have to know quite clearly in your head whose story it is that you're telling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that can, you can use the an identical text, but use it in a different way. Yeah. To, to reorientate the listener, you know, yes, yes. which I find fascinating. But also like the way, the way in which her version is truncated is very polite. Yeah. You know, there's lots of like euphemism and allusion and, uh, you know, the only person who's named in it is Gregory himself. You know, she's nameless and the person who's telling her to go away in the sea is nameless to the point where it could also like almost be her own interior monologue, you know, that says, um, it says twice um, in the song, it uses the exact same verse, um, three or four verses apart. It says that, uh, leave now these windows and likewise this hall, and it's deep in the sea, you should hide your downfall. Mm. When, you have a, when you have a fuller text, you can see that it's Gregory's mother that's, uh, that's telling her that. But in, in uh, Bess Cronin's version, um, it, it could, she could be talking to herself which I really like. I mean, she's a wee soul. Do you ever think, I mean, this this kind of just sort of pops up in my head occasionally that I don't know very much, much about Bess Cronin. And I wonder, you know, there's there's quite a lot, when, when you look at what people have written about Bess Cronin's version, mm-hmm. there's quite a lot that's sort of attributed to Bess Cronin uh, in, in terms of what we think she must have been projecting through her version of this song. 
is it not possible do you think that she just this is the version that she learnt and therefore that was the only version that she learnt or do you think there's more to it that that, that as a, a ballad singer she chose to express these particular things I think it's highly likely that that's just the version that she learnt hmm. but that doesn't uh, you know your your relationship to a, to something like that in your repertoire will change throughout your life yeah do you know what I mean like she'll have a completely different way of looking at it when she's 16 or when she's 60 mm. you know Absolutely, and maybe yeah. in that in that intervening the in the 50 years that she's been singing it she's heard how many other versions of it yeah of you course. know and each even if you stick steadfastly to the thing that you just learned from your ma or your your uncle john or whatever yeah like it, it's gonna it's gonna change it's gonna feel different all yeah. the time so what is it that uh, attracts you to this version particularly Obviously, like this is this was the first version of this song that I ever came across, mm. and uh, it's heartbreaking. Like mm. it, like it broke my heart into tiny little pieces. You know, mm-hmm. he he's so distraught. You know, he's like he's so broken hearted. Um, I think he ends up killing himself, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Mm-hmm. In in Bess's version, um, and you know, it's it's really sad, mm-hmm. and it, it it feels really um avoidable and. Also, it's got like lots of lovely ballady kind of hooks, you know, lots of like repetition of three and, you know, like it's, it's, it's quite easy to listen to. Yeah. Sometimes you get an archive recording and it is a real struggle. Yeah. For lots of different reasons. But like it's a it's a good, easy listen and the narrative hooks you in and there's enough points where like it takes you to the past and it brings you back to the present. And, mm. you know, like it's, it's just a really well structured thing. Mm. It's quite kind of like, single tone and it's sadness mm. she's sad the whole time mm. like she's sad she's sad even when she's with him mm. um you know she she talks about when they were together she asks him do you remember uh when we were together in in capaquin yep. um which is her father's estate turns out which yep. you know is something that i think is important and it took me to to listen to other versions before I really realised how important that was mm. or like how, how important it is that it's sort of buried in the text and she they talk about exchanging rings and exchanging handkerchiefs and she's embarrassed she's embarrassed because he's so much richer than her and her uh, his gifts are of a much higher quality and she she says that she gives she ex- does the exchange against her will yep which is also a key point (laughs) that we'll come back to. And then she says, um, the last verse, so she says, do you remember Love Gregory that night in Capaquin when we changed, I think it's rings first, or no, we changed pocket handkerchiefs. And then she says, do you remember Love Gregory that night in Capaquin when we changed pocket, and then we changed rings on our fingers, which, you know, also symbolizes a commitment as well. Yep. Uh, which I think is interesting. And then she says, do you remember Love Gregory that night in my father's hall and you stole away my fond heart and that was worst of all. Mm-hmm. That was the worst thing that she gave. And the implication is, you, well, the implication that you're supposed to make is that she gave it against her will. Mm. But again, like I feel like that aspect of it only comes to light if you if you hear other, other more fuller versions, versions that are more direct mm. in terms of what happens between the two of them so like she's even when she's with him she's still sad everything about it is breaking her heart the whole time do you know what I mean Mm. there's not really a lot of places that you can go but 
uh, it doesn't really matter. It's so beautiful. And the melody, I think the melody is really um, important in yep. that. It's like so uh, twisty and turny and unusual. And it has that really nice like um, incompleteness at the end of the last line that makes yes, you want to hook into the next verse. Yeah. You know? like your tonic cut is is your resolutions coming in the in the first line of the next verse rather than the last line of the verse that you're in which yeah. is such a such a great such a great hooky technique mm. <laughs> when i've heard you talk about this song before because mm-hmm. i know you've you've uh you've you run a patron patron page don't you and and you do something do. very similar to the old songs podcast in terms well, of chatting about songs it's definitely not as intense this is such a treat to like <laughs> properly nerd out about this it's my very favorite thing to do and mm. um, we have a ballad of the month club mm. and what i do is i do like a little 10 minute intro to a ballad or um and not just not just a specific ballad but like we would talk about the reason that we talked about this for example was a I wanted to show what the importance is of like doing even the most like perfunctory research Mm, on on your text because it really colors your delivery yeah you know like you can't help it like just even like 10 minutes scanning through the in fact mainly Norfolk is a fantastic resource yeah it really it gives you some context and and lets you know a lot about who's been working with it before and yeah you know it's important it's a thread it's a thread of tradition so Mm. you should you you should do at least something i think to maintain the thread i don't think you need to be precious about it you know it's it's a it's a pretty robust thread these days you know people much cleverer than me have done huge amounts of archiving and analysis work over the years and I think the tradition is, you know, fine. I think you're free to then do what you want with it. Yeah. But um, it's important. So, yeah, we pick a different song that is, like, cool and fun and nice to listen to. And you can go and poke around in all the different versions. And um, once a month we uh, hook up in our little Facebook group and uh, have a chat about what people have found out about it. Mm. And versions that they like. And going, oh, I didn't know that so-and-so had done this. And then we go and, uh, well, I go and spend an hour... <laughs> hunting down like things on discogs that I didn't know about until yeah <laughs> spending loads of money on discogs but that's a it's a secondary benefit so I've been doing this old this old songs podcast now for for half a year and mm-hmm. um I, I've kind of started making a little mental note of the people certainly after lockdown that I just want to get together for an evening with and just uh geek out about this sort of thing and there are sort of like a handful of us of of whom within the space of 35 minutes recording this with you I've realized that you've got to be there um <laughs> it's uh, but Jim Jim Murray and I were discussing it he calls it we're going to call oh. it the old song symposium or os he's such a love <laughs> he's the sweetest sweetest guy yeah and absolutely. knows vast amounts absolutely vast absolutely. amounts he's a real student yeah well but i mean that's the that's that's my point i'm I'm not just sort of flattering people here what i'm saying is um what i think is really fascinating is that when you, you you do find people singers who come to traditional music and they think oh that's a nice song i'll sing that and they sing it because the melody's nice and they sing it because you know maybe they've heard other people sing it and um 
And then I think you get another kind of traditional singer who just wants to inhabit those songs. Um, and, you know, I've talked about it before on this podcast about sort of like you, you almost allow the song to inhabit you so that for that period it stays with you and then hopefully it passes on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I mean, I'm definitely getting the sense from this that that's, that's the side that, that you're on in terms of you do inhabit the song. I mean, I think your version of Lord Gregory is quite in- incredible. Did 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 you did I read somewhere that it's a, a one take thing? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. And yeah. it's intense, and you you obviously really know your subject. <laughs> And 
It's, um, yeah, we do a Scottish version of it, um, mm. and it's called Fair Annie of Loch Royan. Mm. And uh, I learned that from a recording of Isla Sinclair. Mm, yes. Ken How of the Generation Game, that same one. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know so, the one. Like it always, that always gets a little chuckle. I guess. Oh, well, it was, um, I was, <laughs> I was looking her up earlier, and I was going, "Hi, oh, Sinclair. This can't be the same, can it?" Sure is. It sure is. <laughs> what a wonderful. She's one of my very, very favourite singers. Um, she has really beautiful, clean, strong, direct delivery, and um, she she's just naturally really good at it. I think she was about sixteen. When yeah, she made yeah, that really record, young, right? it's yeah. it's astonishing. It's quite difficult to get a hold of as well. Um, Ali Roberts very kindly um, digitized his vinyl version for me because I heard it and I was like, oh, "This yeah. is amazing!" Yeah. So her her version is just over ten minutes long and it's yeah. totally unaccompanied and it is a, a an exceptional achievement of delivery. It's really wonderful. The tune is epic. It's got a nice like eight line tune which I really like, mm. um, and uh, she she lifts the text from Walter Scott like pretty directly. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same. So my version is just over eight minutes, but it's an edited. <laughs> it's yeah. an edit of that. Um, there was a few things that I took out that I didn't think that I wanted to have in there. Mm. But in terms of like, here's the thing, like, I love to, to like do the nerding out, but it's, you know, it's so fascinating. There's such like, there's like a million different ways that you can go with it if you yeah. really want to like dig around. Um, but I tend to only do that after I've learned it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I try and keep the, the learning process like super fresh. Yes. So I only listen to... I listened to Claire's version enough times for me to learn the tune mm. and then I stopped listening to it mm-hmm. totally yeah. and then I went and I found the text and I was like oh well this is too long yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I didn't I was like I don't have the confidence I genuinely don't have the confidence of a 16 year old girl <laughs> <laughs> I lack the chops for this <laughs> how can we how can we make it like I, you know, it's it's a real skill to do that, and it's also like quite a 
quite a niche thing I think to want to hear that as yeah. well I think you're asking a lot of your audience she does it so beautifully mm-hmm. but it is a big ask mm. even even of the the most like you know jaded folk club audience in the mm. world like a 10 mm. minute ballad is a hail thing in and yeah, of itself absolutely. that's like durational performance art do you know what I mean yeah you that's, kind of have to ask everybody if they need to go to the toilet first don't you yeah usually <laughs> yeah uh-huh that's have you got a pint right sit down because <laughs> we're going to be here for a while <laughs> um but yeah so like I didn't I didn't have the confidence to do the full text and also I there were certain aspects of the text that I just didn't like yeah so I just took them out what 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 did you not like what, when you come to editing what are you what are you doing there what are you deciding whose side I'm on really yeah that's what's really important I know I know from the video that you put on your patron that you are no fan of Gregory are you oh he's an idiot what's all this bloody fuss about well here's the thing here's what you don't know right so obviously I was like oh my goodness this is a version of Lord Gregory but wait a minute I didn't know all this other stuff yeah so it turns out that Annie isn't just a pure wee soaking wet dish rag with a wee freezing cold baby at the doorstep of somebody's house she's a woman in her own right who has her own land and who has her own title and who has the full support of her parents and who has enough like and you're getting this from from going back through various versions and yeah various different versions Yeah. yeah like looking at the text and stuff um you know she's got she's got the full support of her family yeah when she asks that who will shoe my bonny foot and who will glove my hand? Actually, mm. our father answers her and says, "I'll do it." Yeah. Don't worry about this clown. <laughs> we'll just look after you here. Yeah. And just stay here. And she's like, "No, you know, fuck that." And yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to get away with that. Yeah. And she has enough resources about her and chutzpah about her to build herself a boat. Yeah. So she's not just turning up, drink it. Yeah. and sad she's like here you know i'm getting in my boat and i'm coming to get you and you owe me an explanation yes yes about where you are and why He's you're just not day sleeping there, isn't he? yeah and um instead of coming to deal with it himself he sends his mother to the door who may or may not be a witch is that right no it's annie that may or may not be a witch okay she accuses Sorry. annie she's like take your witch baby and your weird mermaid self away from my castle yes 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 and stop bewitching my poor son that's it yes sorry my apologies somebody had to be a witch somebody does have to be a witch i do um i do a really shit joke after uh like because we when we perform this we do it um in sequence with lemony actually okay um and the two tracks join together so it's like a big 15 minute bit in the middle of the set and it's like Mm. the hinge of that album as well um, and afterwards, like, you do kind of need to break the tension. So I <laughs> tell a joke because Annie says, I'm neither witch nor will warlock nor mermaid of the sea, but I am Annie of Loch Ryan and you will open the door to me. Oof. Right? Right? Yeah. Right? Get into it. Yeah. You know, she's real. she's furious. She's yeah. full of, like, righteous anger and indignation. And I love that. Yeah. So I tell a joke at the end. I'm like, my favourite bit of that song is when she goes, eh, by the way, just while I'm here, uh, I know no one asked, but I'm definitely not a witch. <laughs> Just in case anyone was wondering about people that are not witches, I'm def- <clears throat> I'm not one. You know, it's a really, it's a really necessary, necessary <laughs> joke. Obviously, in the text, his mother 
does accuse her of being a witch and she's responding to that but I've cut that verse out because I don't believe in persecuting Lord Gregory's mother any further right okay it's um, just Gregory we're going after yeah he's an idiot mm, um, he is. so but also it turns out the really big climactic moment in that song for me is um when she says oh do you remember love Gregory when I was embarrassed to give you my you know substandard handkerchief <laughs> for shame um, she's like do you remember Lord Gregory when you took my maidenhead away from me against my will mm. and that's why she's pregnant and that's why she's there so yeah. Lord Gregory uh, doesn't deserve any sympathy from anybody and he certainly doesn't deserve to lie in his pit like some sort of petulant teenager while his mother deals with all of his problems yeah so I decided to, to cut her out because I really like the idea of Annie turning up and confronting him with the baby and with the truth of what he did and with her fury mm. and uh, to have him not respond to it. It's about you taking know? taking responsibility for your actions, isn't it? Mm. I mean, that's where, that's where we're... Um able to connect it i suppose to to any generation uh, of any time over the last several hundred years mm-hmm. that women are left holding babies that they didn't ask for yeah to the detriment of their safety and also uh you know when when you think about in Bess cronin's version she's told that she needs to go away and hide her shame mm. right like that really you know i don't like that i didn't yeah, it's just, it's not cool. <laughs> it's really not cool to ask women to hide their shame. So, but yeah, she shouldn't, she's not ashamed. That's the thing. And in, in yeah. the in the version that I decided to sing, she's not ashamed, she's furious. Hmm. And she's like, I won't hide. I'm going to get myself a fancy boat with taffeta eh, ropes and, you know, green silk sails. And I'm going to come marching across the sea like some kind of avenging spectre of your wrongdoing. Get mm. ready for me to turn up and tell everybody that lives in your house exactly what a scumbag you are. I much prefer that energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's just go to a particularly famous verse within this song. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often when people know about Lord Gregory or they come to this song, they're referring to this verse... Um, about who's going to shoe your pretty little foot. Um, and it's pronounced in various different ways and uh, in different dialects and all of these kind of things. There's there's a huge deal made about how, you know, as it goes over to the States, that song, that verse becomes a song in itself and it, it goes mm-hmm. off. And, you know, Woody Guthrie famously did a, a, great, exa- a great example of it yep. uh, with a quite a powerful statement in the final verse where he, he sings, I don't need no men. Uh on mm-hmm. behalf of the woman and so he's you know quite a political statement again but actually it's there's when you research it it turns out that the the verse probably doesn't belong to this song whatsoever anyway so it's a slight red herring yeah i mean what i mean what belongs it's a it's a collection of floating verses right yeah it's a collection of tools floating verses are tools mm. and uh, i don't think that you can say that it doesn't belong any more than you can say that it does. Like, if yeah. it serves the purpose. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, like, what 
it depends what you're asking who will do what for me do you know what I mean like who will Annie says who will lace my middle jump with a lying lang linen band like tying a belt around your middle is like a sign of like betrothal Mm. it comes up in other songs Mm. like it's a gift that you would give to someone like a like a spouse or an intended Mm. you know well, I suppose, I suppose one thing to sort of point out, again, to listeners who are slightly new to traditional songs, we talked about this in, in the last episode, which was to do with the leaving of Liverpool, and I chatted to Jim Murray about it. Mm. We talked a bit about floating verses there, and floating verses are essentially verses that turn up in several songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say it doesn't belong here, it's not, obviously, I'm not, I don't mean that it has no place in this song. What I'm saying is, that uh, it uh-huh. it may or may not have originated in this song. It may or may not have been brought in yep. from other songs. Uh, and when you say that a floating verse is a tool, that's a really interesting phrase for it, actually. Um, when we were talking about leaving of Liverpool last week, that um, the the singer, the source singer, uh, it was pointed out that that the, there was a certain verse in that that was a floating verse, and that the singer was known for what they called, I think they called it composing in the moment. <laughs> which was if you were in a particular situation and you you know as a, as a, as a singer yourself with a repertoire you recognized a certain i don't know spark in the audience or that the, this audience had a particular dark nature or something like that then you might pull in a verse that you knew from your repertoire from another song because it suited that audience and f- fulfilled that that performance in that moment mm-hmm. and so um Often floating verses can be seen in that sense. And so in this case, yeah, I mean, it's it's documented in, in many versions, but, but not in others, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it again, turns up in other traditional songs as well. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely does. There's a lot of, it, it's, it's useful if you forget your place. Mm. <laughs> you can just like <laughs> chuck in. Tuck in a verse if you have like a little back pocket for the floating verses, then you can be like, Shit, I don't remember what happens next. Let's sing something about, you know, oranges and apples or something like that. Like, just make it up. But, um, they're, they're a really useful tool. They're a tool for like that lovely rule of three, which is so important. In, Explain the lovely rule of three. So, in, um, in ballad form and also in traditional storytelling and also in public speaking of, of any kind, you're taught about like the rule of three. So you're going to say we're going to do this and this and this, mm. right? It's a really like satisfying thing. Mm. But when you're when you're talking about it in a ballad context, you quite often get groups of three verses or a verse that has the same idea articulated with three different objects, yeah. or like, you Can know... Can you do, give an example from this song? Because you mentioned yeah. it here. Yeah, mm. so, who will shoe my bonny foot? Yeah. Who will glove my hand? Yeah. And who will lace my middle jump with a lang lang linen band? Who will do this? Who will do that? Who will do the other? Yeah. And then in response, in the full text, in the full Walter Scott text, certainly her father says, I will show your bonny foot and I will glove your hand and I yeah. will lace your middle. Do you know what I mean? So you don't have to do any of it. And it, it it's like a little, it, you can use it like as a little bookmark. And also in Bess Cronin's version, we talked about, um, do you remember Love Gregory that night in Cabo Quinn when we changed rings on our fingers and me against my will? Yeah. For yours was pure silver love and mine was but tin and yours cost a guinea love and mine but one cent I think is the verse um, and then she says do you remember love Gregory 
that night in Capaquin where we changed pocket handkerchiefs and me yep. against my will. And then the third one is the kicker where she says, do you remember Love Gregory that night in my father's hall and you stole away my font heart and that was first, mm. worst of all. So it's like a little, uh, no, the audience knows that there's like another bit to come. Yeah. You know, it's just a way to kind of hook people in, if, especially if you're singing a long song. Yes, yes. And it's less things for you to remember as well. <laughs> <laughs> as well. Yeah, so like that kind of like three beat delivery or maybe like you'll get in Child Norris, he gives his page three gifts to give to this woman and the, the page goes through the woods and turns up at the woman's house and doesn't meet the woman, meets the husband instead, but says, I have these three gifts and then he reiterates the three gifts so each of the gifts has a verse when it's being given to the page and then each of the gifts has a verse when the page is explaining what they are yeah. to the to the husband. Yeah. Presumably rather sheepishly. Yeah. But yeah, so like that that kind of like rep that rule of three repetitiously is something that comes up, especially in the longer narrative guys. And in this particular case, that three floating verses has become a song all on its own yeah it's gone off and done its own thing mm -hmm. particularly in america by the look of things yeah i find that i find that really interesting mm. like it's the older like when you're looking at the narrative ballads that are popular in america it's quite often the like super duper old ones yeah it is yeah um obviously the ones that went away who's gonna shoot your pretty little foot think that is what it is it's a little time capsule which is yeah. why it tends to be or the the older ones are the more persistent yeah but they persist in obviously all sorts of different ways i mean if mm. you have like a particular bit of a song i do it all the time mm. i i quite often will work with like one or two verses of a song that i just like yeah. um and a uh, and build up around them uh, the, the key what's the key message yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the most economical way that I can do it? Because, like, I, you know, I know tons of songs. You can't keep them all in your head all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. What, I mean, it's it's fascinating talking to you about that. It's a. It's not something that I do as a as a singer. I mean, I think it's maybe I'm just too or or, or relatively young in my my traditional song journey. Uh, to have sort of experimented terribly much with that, but certainly there's there's one I'm looking at at the moment, uh, Willie of Winsbury, which mm. which I'm I'm attracted to first it's and foremost great. by the melody, then by the various versions that there Who's are. Who are you using? The version that I know, obviously, most people know, is the one that Anne Briggs sung. Mm. Uh, sang. Yeah. Uh, so that's the that's and then there's sort of varying versions, aren't there? There's Tom the Barber and all of these different versions of that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. I find the uh, the that that song uncomfortable to sing in certain ways, um, 
because I just don't get it. It's it's no more than that. So you've in in that particular song you have, again, it's another case of sort of a, a father, uh, in this case, um, dealing with with a a pregnant daughter, um, and when he demands to see who's got her pregnant, he goes, "Well, this is obvious because I would have slept with him myself." It's such a great line, isn't it? It's just yeah, but it's just I just I just don't get it. I just sort of like really like that's. After all this fury, <laughs> well, sure, but like you, it it's more to like imbibe Willie with like magicalness. I think, mm. yeah, you know, like here is this magical, scarlet-clad, milky-skinned, flaxen-haired youth. You know, so he is deserving. Like the king doesn't murder him yeah. because by rights the king should murder him on the spot. Yeah, yeah. So it's Instead, a sort of like, bewitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it makes Willie like a little magical like pixie guy. And mm. obviously the best part of that is the king's like, oh, well, you're super hot, so it's all <laughs> fine. Uh, would you like to have a large parcel of land yeah, and like absolutely. a title and stuff? And Willie tells him to ram it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's like, no, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm going to be free in the wild. Yes, absolutely. I only need as much land as you can ride in a summer's day. Absolutely. <laughs> so good. It is good. It is good. But then I suppose that that's about sort of how what you're attracted to within a song, right? So for my for in my case, what I'm quite attracted to is the version of lyrics that's known as Tom the Barber, mm-hmm. which is set on a ship and much the same story, but there's no magic particularly going on. It's uh it's just that the 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 ship's captain or whoever is is the sort of authoritarian figure in it mm-hmm. um calls calls Tom in front of him and just demands that he kind of you know lives up to his responsibilities uh oh. and Tom but but it ends in much the same way right so Tom sort of goes yep I will I'll I'll marry your daughter but I'm going to do we're going to do things our way from here on like we're not going to take your land we're not going to do that this is you know we're we're getting married and then we're going off on our own kind of thing yeah and i think it's the the sort of slightly lack of magic there that 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 makes it more comfortable to me and my more slightly realist sensibilities totally and it's a really great lesson he's obviously like learned his lesson hasn't he yeah the captain's like you need to buck up your ideas and he's like do you know what you're right we'll do it by ourselves and yeah. I'm going to like man up and take care of this situation. Unlike Lord Bloody Gregory, <laughs> here he comes again. What's your um? Other than the best Cronin version, what's the version that your um? The the what what versions have particularly attracted you in terms of recordings uh, over the years? So you've mentioned Isla Sinclair, you've mentioned Best Cronin. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? I mean, Ali Roberts has done done it, hasn't he? Shoe my babe's little feet. Who put gloves on her hand Who will tie my babe's medal with a long linen band Who comb my babe's yellow hair with an ivory comb Who will be my babe's father till Lord Gregory comes home he did it way back, I yeah. think, on his first first record as Alistair Roberts. Yeah. His first record of traditional music. And he, I think, 
he says that he learned it from Shirley Collins. Yeah. Shirley Collins uses Bess Cronin's tune. Yes. It's, it's her version. Um, actually, Ali sang this live on a couple of a a couple of the Lode Star tour shows, and may, oh, maybe not quite. There was like a thing at the Sage, and also a thing at Celtic Connections. Um, when just when Lode Star came out, Shirley's Shirley Collins's last album. Yep. Um, and she invited some singers, some sort of like regional singers to come and sing at a few of the Lodestar concerts. She did like a few kind of big concert hall dates and Ali sang Lord Gregory to that tune unaccompanied. Mm. And uh, it, I, it was devastating. Mm. It was so beautiful. And his delivery of it has changed completely in the 20 years. You know, obviously it's the same song, but like it just, it feels so different in his hands now 20 years down the line yeah i mean they're both they're both great but it's the difference between like a guy in his 40s and a, a guy in his 20s yeah absolutely you yeah. know and it's it's really beautiful but there's been like so many so many great recordings of it over mm. the years like um it's quite a, a widespread one and a poem as well isn't it i mean it's it's burns uh, yeah, did I mean, it and yeah, Burns did do a version of it, which again is totally unsurprising. It's yeah. a really good yarn, and he um, quite often pinched ballads and folk songs and yeah. other people's poems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very ethical. He's <laughs> um, not. He's not my favorite. He's not my favorite guy. It's one. It's one of the big ones. If you're if you're a if you're a ballad singer. You've probably got a version of this percolating somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like one of the kind of like core yeah. classics. Or if you're Martin Simpson, you've done more than one version of it. I was looking at his, yeah, you his and McCall's done more than one version of it as well. Yeah, Martin did Lord Gregory, and then on his last album, Who's Going to Shoe Your Pretty Little Foot? So he's mm-hmm. coming at both directions, which not surprising given that he's. So interested in English and American yeah. uh, ballad singing. Maddie Pryor's version's nice. Mm. Uh, she also has done it twice, I think. Has she? Uh, I'm not sure. I think she's done a Steel Eye Span and a One on Her Own. Yeah, and she talks a lot, doesn't she, in her record sleeve uh, notes about it being a great example of oral tradition within her repertoire as, alone because she's not a great one for remembering what she's done with each song so floating verses abound <laughs> in plenty yeah yeah i mean like how many songs does maddie pryor know <laughs> right like how I many don't, stars I doubt are that in maddie the pryor sky could answer right? that question yeah so it could be argued like for example lord thomas and fair eleanor is a song and mm. lady margaret and sweet william is a song but mm. i think that there is so much overlap mm. conceptually between those two they feel like two different parts of the same story yeah. Right. Like Lord Thomas and Fair Eleanor feels like the the first part of the story, and then Sweet William and Margaret is like the alternative ending mm. for that mm. story. Like there's so much overlap, and also everyone is called William and Margaret and Anne. That's the only names <laughs> that anyone's allowed to have. So it's really um, tricky to hold all of these all of these in your head. Yeah. You know which Lord did what? Was it Bateman? Was it Gregory? Oh, God, yeah, so many lords. (laughs) 
So many lords. I, again, like this is all like retrospective finding yeah. out for me. Once I decide that I want to sing something, I tend to like leave it alone. Yeah. Until I know it. Yeah. Yeah. And only I mean, then it's... is it safe to look at other versions and go, "Shit, I wish I'd done that." <laughs> yeah I, I i do this i do the same thing i mean I, I i have found that in fact you know ideally i don't if i can possibly help it not listen to anybody's version at all if i can find them a written melody or something like that then i will i will try that see if i can find my own way into the song Oh, yeah, um, my reading skills are not. Well, I have enough. no reading skills. I promise you, I have to use. I have to look for MIDI files, and there are great. <laughs> here's a great sort of a modern day folk singer trick. There are great apps now that you can take photos of scores, and it will read that score to you and play it back to you, so you get an idea of the tune. Um, but sometimes it really fucks up, so uh, you could end up with a completely different tune accidentally. But that's. Just I mean, oh well, modern, right? Modern transmission, right? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great thing. I have books and books and books full of things that I don't. It would be so nice to have something pristine, right? Yeah. That's that's. I mean, that's kind of lame. That's so quite nerdy. That might be the nerdiest thing I've ever said. And <laughs> well, well, by pristine, what do you mean? Like Somebody, no, something like no nobody's one else has touched. Done. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh I remember talking to Martin Carthy a few years ago, and he was talking to me about how somebody once wrote down. A, a, a number of tunes for him but without bars um and just just the tunes so that he could try to imagine what the song was like in in its perfect oral you know unaccompanied transmission oh what a beautiful uh, thing to do mm. so that's, that's an interesting way idea. to approach it that's a really nice idea is that that's actually much closer to the way that i end up doing things mm. i think there's like um received wisdom well it's true it's not received wisdom it's true that uh, <clears throat> you know your ballad delivery should be very regular mm. and very m measured and metered and the ballad form is quite concise it's a four-line melody and uh, it's usually like a, an a b something a right yeah. like that's yeah. the your your it's like a little circular self-contained little package mm -hmm. um and the, the the meter and the pulse and the constancy of your delivery is part of what a uh, allows the audience to to like step into it you know yeah and 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 really listen in a deep way yeah unornamented singing you know shirley collins again is like a big advocate mm. of that she knows you should always be in service to the song and, you know, that's really true. And I believe that 100%, but I can't really do it. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to, like, be a lot freer. And um, see, when you're singing Gaelic, yeah. the vowel length is really important. Yes. Um, so, like, to say mother, yeah. you say mahed. Okay. To say father you say ahed. Hmm. But to say my father, you say mahed. So right. mahed is my father and mahed is mother. So your vowel length is like crucial, right? So what happens is when you're singing a song, quite often the vowel length will change the shape of the melody a little bit hmm. because hmm. you need to be able to to deliver it accurately. It's exactly the same uh, as Japanese. Yeah. I, um, I have... 
lived in Japan for a long time. My wife is Japanese, and occasionally mm-hmm. I, I've been singing occasionally Japanese traditional songs. It's exactly the same. You have you have certain lengths of vowel or or even uh, almost hiccups within a within a a, a word um, that the non-Japanese or the non-practiced ear will not pick up on. Mm-hmm. But if you were to sing it to a Japanese person not including those things means the difference in the meaning of the word that you're singing yeah i i, I have a, a song that i sing it's super sad it's about a guy who finds his a uh, fiance he gets a hinky feeling and he goes to visit the farm that she lives on and uh, he finds her dead on a board wrapped in winding sheets under the window and he makes an appeal to some higher deity to stop him from going mad it's, mm. i mean like it's really it's like proper like Gallic hysterical is great um <laughs> but there's there's a word in it um he says Scosalir Gomovata right so he says I get my staff right but for the longest time I thought he was getting in a boat because the word <laughs> the word for the word for staff is bata yeah. and the word for boat is bata right okay yeah <laughs> which is right. Ken the same thing and yeah. I was really confused and then I went to a party and there was some Catholics there and I was like but you know I feel like he's getting in a boat but also like I you know I don't, my Gaelic's not good enough basically to, to translate it and they were like no it's a stick it's like a walking stick mate it's a bata <laughs> not a bata and I was like oh right but yeah like being free with the shape of the melody I think it really permeates the way that I sing in English if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, I think I'm not sure that we could say much more right now. I'm sure we could actually go on forever about about Lord Gregory. Weeks. But we've got to wrap it up <laughs> at some point. But I'm just interested to... So for people who, again, who are listening to you here, perhaps for the first time, finding out about you, where would they go and find your version of Lord Gregory? And how you, would they get into your Patreon? You can listen to it on our band camp. Yep. It's birdellen.bandcamp.com and, and it's from the album It's from the album Silver Came Yeah And yeah, and, it, is, and it is a one take We recorded the whole album in a in a dance studio And like put like in a little cave of crash mats <laughs> and, and, and it's a Am I right in saying that the album is all uh, it's, it's, it's all traditional songs that deal with um, uh, Stories of women, is that right? Yeah, it's like little um, tiny windows into women's lives, like a little advent calendar mm. of uh, of women's experiences. So you can take a little kick in here mm. and there. Some of them are very big, like Annie's, and some of them are very small, like yeah. singing to your baby mm. um, out, while you look out the window at the cows that you have. <laughs> yeah, yep. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for asking me. This is like my dream job. <laughs> well, we do more. Let's do more. Absolutely. Let's do more. Let's just dissect the whole lexicon. Let's do it. <laughs> and actually, what's been really interesting about this is I think this is a, a, the first of what could be on, on the Old Songs podcast that could be considered a, a Scott song. Um, mm. Although, if you're listening to Best Cronin's version, you might consider it an Irish song. But I mean, that is... Like that's a where does one start and the other one end? That's a total chicken and egg guy for me. I think, <laughs> especially because both of the both of the narrative ballad traditions of each country is so dependent on the traveller community. Yeah, 
And um, obviously, there's a huge amount of cultural exchange between Scottish and Irish travellers mm. and has been, I think, maybe before there was cultural exchange between settled Scottish people and Irish people, you know? Mm. That's a long-standing thread of transmission. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. It, it surprises me more to find one that exists in Scotland and doesn't exist in Ireland. Less right. so the other way round. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. but... Yeah. Okay, well, thanks again. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, let's speak again soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. the baby